How's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn. Thank you so much for making Go Long a part of your life. I greatly appreciate it. Hey, we're going to try something new here. Um, obviously, we've been writing stories, long-form stories since launching in 2020, November of 2020. And I've noticed, you know, on some other Substacks, uh, they include audio narrations with stories. So we're going to try that for the first time right now with the two-part series on Kevin Cobb. I just know that a lot of people out there are really busy. The weather's nicer, especially here in Western New York. You might want to mow the lawn and, you know, pop in those earbuds, listen to a story instead of reading it. Maybe you just don't have the time to sit down and consume a story. So let me know if this works for you. If uh, if you enjoy it, if it's just a, a different, fresh way to quote unquote, read our stories, uh, we'll keep this going. Have a lot of projects on tap. May, June, July, going to be traveling around uh, to different teams. So thank you so much for making that possible, for subscribing. If you don't, you can always ding the button there. Monthly, annual subscriptions, always available. And yeah, let's get right to it. This is the two-part series on Kevin Cobb. Thank you so much for all of your support. Part one, what happened to Kevin Cobb? He set the internal timer at five minutes. Kevin Cobb knew he had all of five minutes at FedEx Field to decide whether or not his football career was over. Because into this 2013 season, the Buffalo Bills' new starting quarterback made up his mind one more concussion would be four since 2010. His symptoms after number three were so bad, so scary, that even a murderous competitor like him knew there was no debate. Concussion number four would swiftly prompt retirement. After absorbing a knee to the head this exhibition game against the Washington Redskins on October 24th, 2013, Cobb momentarily blacked out, went numb from his neck down, and stayed in the game. Even led the Bills to a touchdown that drive. But he obviously feared the worst. And this time, his employer genuinely cared. Offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, told Cobb the team's general manager, Doug Whaley, had called down. He saw the headshot from above in the press box. What do you want to do? Hackett asked. As the Redskins received the ensuing kickoff, time ticked. Cobb asked for five minutes to be alone with his thoughts. He knew this was bad, but how bad? The rush of adrenaline that masked the pain wore off, and Cobb started hyperanalyzing his predicament, started searching for a fire escape in the maze of a troubled mind. Are you sure you blacked out? Are you sure you went numb? My vision's blurry and I'm struggling to walk straight, but is this really a concussion? Without Cobb, the Bills would have no choice but to rocket launch E.J. Manuel, a green rookie, into action week one. Pressure not lost on Cobb as Hackett paced and paced. Finally, the QB calmed himself. He had played at FedEx Field several times before. Here, the fans are a mere 15 feet away. When he turned around, the sight was horrifying. All he saw was a mix of maroon and gold. Cobb couldn't make out one fan's face. His five minutes were up. Two weeks ago, the game we love was celebrated once again. More than 312,000 fans congregated in Kansas City to attend the 2023 NFL Draft. A simple proceeding that the league has turned into its own Woodstock. Only a much more potent psychedelic than LSD is passed around by attendees. Hope. 
Adults paint their faces, dress up in Halloween costumes, and scream at full throat after the after their beloved team takes an offensive guard from McTucky Tech, who they didn't even know existed two seconds ago. The overrated Beastie Boys Blair, YouTubers Dude Perfect shamelessly sneak in an NFL Sunday ticket plug for making a draft pick with Donna Kelsey. And hey, there's those Bills inviting a quote-unquote social media influencer from Canada to make a pick. What a change from the scene in 2007. Once upon a time, the Philadelphia Eagles selected a quarterback from the University of Houston with the 36th pick and fans on site ruthlessly booed, flashed thumbs down and stormed away in disgust. Ah, yes, simpler times. Sadly, that player's name only washes away in time. Forgotten amid the NFL's nauseating pageantry, yet Kevin Cobb is full proof that pro football is so much more than what the 54 million saw at home watching the NFL draft and the 113 million saw in Super Bowl LVIII. More than Roger Goodell bro hugs, more than Patrick Mahomes taking off on one good leg to lead his Kansas City Chiefs to a valiant Super Bowl title in Glendale, Arizona. This summer marks the 10-year anniversary of this quarterback's unceremonious exit. And as much as football is worth celebrating, there is a dark side. Cost, an underbelly, nobody should pretend, does not exist. Concussions did more than damage Cobb's brain. The hell on earth sent him spiraling into an isolated depression. Perpetually on the cusp of NFL glory, from Donovan McNabb's hand-picked successor, to inking a five-year, $63.5 million deal as the face of the Arizona Cardinals, to starting for the Buffalo Bills, he, too, envisioned hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Instead, that Glendale Stadium was more house of horrors. Each time Cobb was anointed, his brain was battered. Each time his brain was battered, he became less of himself. Life after concussion number four was particularly scary. He nearly killed himself in a head-on collision and forgot how to drive his daughter to preschool a mile and a half away, and occasionally worried he hit one of his kids backing out of the driveway. Cobb tripped into a bottomless pit of despair. Such is a world fans have forgotten all about. Somehow, concussions in the NFL shifted from a national crisis that demanded Congress's attention to page F-17 cobwebs of our minds. I first chatted with Cobb at the peak of awareness in 2015 for this piece of the Buffalo News. Cobb was open to a point, which was understandable. Personal trauma was still fresh. Since then, concussions took a backseat to other controversies. Kneeling, the Miami Dolphins tampering, all things Dan Snyder, Deshaun Watson, the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, etc., etc. Cynical as it sounds, I think the NFL was quite pleased to take on these PR issues rather than one that could genuinely cost owners billions of dollars because these issues, in theory, were fixable. Push Snyder out. Suspend Watson. Make the unvaxxed wear a mask during press conferences. Strip Miami of a draft pick. Paint a slogan in the end zone, and voila, racism solved. Head trauma, however, is a thorny issue. As long as football remains a contact sport, the NFL cannot make this problem disappear with one swoop of a magic wand. Owners merely hope you're not paying attention. That proved difficult last season with one of the game's premier quarterbacks, Miami's Tua Tungavaiola, suffering very public 
very grisly concussions. Sights that prompted another call to Cobb. This time he relives every hit, every emotion. In part one of this series, we examine how his NFL career fell apart. In part two, Cobb details his personal rock bottom and how he got his life back. His odyssey is inspiring retirees across the country. I love football. You love football. The fact that this profession isn't for everybody is 100% what makes it the greatest sport on the planet. Like anything we love, we cannot ignore its flaws. Cobb's descent is the story of the sport as much as any quarterback's ascent. This is how the universe works. For every triumph, there's tragedy. There's that kid boot on draft day getting his chance under the same head coach who stood on that Super Bowl podium with Mahomes. So that's where this conversation begins. Week one of the 2010 NFL season at Lincoln Financial Field in a sharp Kelly Green uniform, number four took the field as the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback. Play-by-play man Joe Buck set the stage. Quote, I can't wait to see how Kevin Cobb plays this afternoon. Everybody's looking forward to it, Troy Aikman replied. He's waited three years for this opportunity, and his hopes are to take advantage of it. Eight minutes remain in the first half. It's 3-3, third and 14. This is the pressure Cobb's been dying for as a backup. From his own 18-yard line, lined up in the shotgun, he stares down the barrel of a Green Bay defense that ranked number one last season. Green 80, Cobb barks. The Packers only rush three defenders, but the pressure of Cullen Jenkins inside flushes Cobb to his left. The quarterback sees something downfield and hesitates to pull up for a throw before retucking. Little does he know, Clay Matthews is hot on his trail. All the linebacker needs is that fraction of a second to catch, corral, and body slam Cobb. A huge chunk of grass gets lodged in the corner of his face mask. Grimacing in pain, Cobb's eyes are closed. Fox's camera pans to his family up above in a box. His wife clasps her hands, concerned. Cobb manages to walk off under his own power. He returns for one more series and heads into halftime. His day is done. Ugly as this appeared, the aftershock of concussion number one wasn't that bad. Cobb recalls brief memory loss, nothing painful. He also credits the Eagles training staff for never putting pressure on him to play. Over the years, he's been asked to join lawsuits, but declined every time because he always felt properly counseled by trainers. After four days, Cobb felt like himself. After 10, he was back to whistling fastballs. There was only one problem. Michael Vick, fresh off 548 days in federal prison, was too good to take off the field. Ahead of the season, head coach Andy Reid asked Cobb for permission to sign Vic. It was fine by him. Now he was a backup for the fourth straight season. Cobb briefly got the call when Vic went down with injury, sizzling for 326 yards and three touchdowns versus Atlanta. But it didn't matter. This was Vic's team. Now he worried if one hit cost him millions of dollars. He has no clue why he didn't throw the damn ball away. Quote, what am I doing, Cobb says. I was trying to make a play, thinking I'd get out of the pocket like it's college. No, it's Clay Matthews, boss. You ain't going to outrun him. 
a lockout gripped the NFL through the offseason, feeding more uncertainty, more anxiety. But finally, Cobb got his big break. On July 29, 2011, the Eagles traded him to the Cardinals for cornerback Dominique Rogers cromartie and a second-round pick. Cobb's mega contract included $21 million guaranteed. He headed to the desert, determined to play through anything. The workplace environment was different in 2011. League of Denial, the groundbreaking book and documentary that served as a nationwide wake-up call to concussions, won't be released until October 2013. So forgive the color commentator in this week to tilt between Arizona and Washington for describing Brian Arakpo's legal yet vicious hit on Cobb as a quote-unquote spinal tap knockout shot. The quarterback's head whiplashes violently. He stays in the game. A 22-21 loss. Cobb tells nobody with the team about the second concussion. In his mind, it's not an option. He felt trapped. Completely, utterly trapped. That's the best way to describe the next six weeks of Kevin Cobb's life. He repeats the word several times. After concussion number two, Arizona lost six straight games. Cobb wasn't himself and felt like there was absolutely nothing he could say about it. The pressure was too suffocating. The team had just made him one of the richest players in the sport Cobb needed to play, especially after four years of waiting. He never said a word to the training staff. Loss after loss after loss led to more, more, quote, heartache, more, quote, depression. Cobb faded into an unknown all alone, and he wasn't exactly sure what was wrong. Was he feeling this way because he was depressed, sleep-deprived, emotionally exhausted due to the season caving in? In the moment, Cobb wasn't sure. Only later did he realize the concussion from from Arakpo's hit triggered all the above. Quote, that was a point of solitude and isolation, Cobb says. I felt like I was trapped. At home, he was a miserable husband and father. Years later, loved ones told Cobb he was, quote, 100% unapproachable those two months in 2011. If his, wife, if his wife asked, are you okay? Cobb quickly shot her down. He didn't want anyone's sympathy. Instead, he remained isolated and angry. The son of a hard-driving coach, Cobb starred at Stephenville High School, then Houston, before patiently biding his time for this opportunity. Everything he had worked for his entire life was now spiraling out of control. The Cardinals were two years removed from a Kurt Warner-led Super Bowl run, and he was the man entrusted to keep that window open. Instead, he played more carelessly than ever before. The symptoms affected his play. Says Cobb, quote, I'm just falling off the rails. Considering he never pulled himself out after that Arakpo hit, never said a peep, Cobb knew it would be a terrible look to inform the team out of the blue, I'm dealing with this, from that. In the old NFL, this is interpreted as an excuse for stinking up the joint. Quote, they're going to say, sure, you say you're feeling like that. You played like crap, Cobb said. Hence, trapped. This wasn't a torn ligament or a broken bone that everyone could see, nor was knowledge of concussions truly mainstream. Cobb won't point the finger at Arizona's trainers because this was still the era of what he calls suck-it-up football. Nobody knew what you were allowed to say when it came to the brain. 
By the time one in five Arizona traveled to Baltimore, his brain was healed, but his confidence shot, obliterated. As he looked around his penthouse suite in Baltimore that Sunday, Cobb saw at least seven windows and told himself there's no way he could hit any of them with a football. The last thing he wanted to do was play a football game. The team bus was heading to the stadium in 15 minutes, and Cobb had zero clue how he'd take the field to face Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, and this nasty defense. If he was trapped before, now he was begging for mercy. Right then, Mom's old advice to pray in times of trouble, quote, hit your knees, she'd say, rain through his mind. Screw it, Cobb told himself. I'm doing it. First came a feeling of embarrassment. Cobb hadn't prayed in months, hadn't been in church in forever. The quarterback knelt against the bed and poured his guts out. All anger, all frustration. He was never this vulnerable before in his life. Cobb prayed for God to get him out of this game by any means. He didn't care if God himself needed to wreck the bus on the way to the Ravens stadium. He was in zero mental condition to play. Overwhelmed in every sense of the word. He'll never forget what happened next. Quote, an angel picked me up. I don't even know how I stood off up the bed, Cobb says. Seriously, and I'm not trying to be over-spiritual. I'm being for real. I turned around and looked behind me like, what was that? It was crazy. Newfound confidence on the spot coursed through his veins. Cobb felt equipped to face the Ravens to take on any obstacle. He got on that bus and a long chat with his close friend Joe Flacco during pregame helped even more. Cobb asked the Ravens quarterback how he was dealing with so much public scrutiny. The QB hadn't won a Super Bowl yet. Flacco told him that he sincerely did not listen to anything. Good, bad, indifferent. He genuinely stopped giving a shit. Cobb, forever a people pleaser, realized he needed to operate the same way. The crowd was electric. Lewis, Baltimore's belligerent linebacker, exited the tunnel with a divot of grass in his hand and pretended to eat it. Cobb, he remembers being laser-focused. And by God, it showed. He began by lacing a 66-yard missile to Larry Fitzgerald on a seam post, one of the most difficult throws for any quarterback. Cobb saw Baltimore sneak its safety into the box pre-snap and smoked one to Fitz, who honestly should have scored on the play. The Cardinals were forced to settle for a field goal, but Cobb was excellent. With 3.52 left in the half, he hit early Doucette on a back shoulder route for a 10-yard touchdown that gave Arizona a 24-3 lead. That was an absolute laser shot from Kevin Cobb, color commentator and ex-Ravens coach Brian Billick said on the broadcast. That thing has to be on the proverbial frozen rope, he said. Kevin Cobb has that kind of arm. His magic power had returned. Cobb went full Henry Rowan Gardner. Quote, like rookie of the year with his arm, says Cobb, referencing the 93 cult classic. Boom, boom, boom. We're smoking him. Teammates were elated. One by one, they congratulated Cobb on the sideline. Unfortunately, it was all a mirage. That same first half, Cobb also ripped every ligament in his toe. X-ray images showed that nothing was broken, but this was bad. So bad, Cobb couldn't push off his foot. Hell, he couldn't, he could barely execute a handoff to the running back. In his opinion, backup John Skelton would have been the team's best option in the second half. Yet while the team doctor advised he sit out, 
Cobb says head coach Ken Wisenhunt instructed him to play. Wisenhunt saw Cobb light it up and knew this was a must-win game. Cobb did not protest. He taped the foot up. Arizona lost 30-27. He'll never forget the look of terror on the faces of the team's training staff when they removed his cleat afterward. The swelling, the bruising, 60% of his foot was black and blue. Cobb could have been confused for an extra in a 90s slasher film. Quote, they were scared to death, Cobb says. They thought they ruined my career, ruined my foot. I remember seeing the look on their face like, oh, we screwed this one up. You have this, I told you so feeling. Now what? I fought harder, I hurt my foot worse, and we lost. Why didn't we just talk about it as men and figure out what was the best solution at halftime? Right when Cobb was turning a corner, he was forced to sit four weeks. He clutched dearly to that confidence reboot, that Rowan Gardner rush of euphoria. I got it. I got it, he repeated to stay in good spirits. The Cardinals' defense started playing better through that two-and-two stretch, and it hit Cobb. Temper his gunsling in nature, and his best days were in front of him. When Cobb returned, he led the Cardinals to a thrilling overtime win over the 7-4 and four Cowboys. This was the breakthrough he dreamt of for four years. An unblocked Anthony Spencer in his face, Cobb deftly floated backward to avoid the sack and sling a quick pass to LaRod Stevens Howling, who weaved 52 yards to the house. He wasn't depressed anymore, no. As teammates piled on top of each other in the end zone, Cobb ran downfield in jubilation. The very next week, Arizona hosts the San Francisco 49ers. On his second snap of the game, Cobb is slammed to the turf, but does a marvelous job of breaking the fall with his left forearm. He's okay. The next play, on third and six, he isn't so lucky. While being sacked by Justin Smith, he fumbles. Linebacker Ahmad Brooks hustles to the loose ball and inadvertently strikes Cobb in the side of the helmet with his knee. Cobb slingshots forward violently. He cannot hide this concussion. The lack of support from teammates and coaches hurt. Their response to this injury was cold. At least the medical staff knew the truth. Quote, they knew I wasn't a liar, Cobb says. They knew what I had been through with my foot. Either way, none of it mattered. Cobb realized how bad this looked. A player getting paid the big bucks was out. Again, there was no way he could play through this concussion because while everyone else thought this was concussion number two, it was actually number three. The symptoms were worse than anyone could have guessed. His season was over. Stricken with guilt, with a burning desire to show teammates he cared, Cobb nonetheless traveled with his team to Cincinnati. He didn't want anyone to think he abandoned them. Cobb suspected many players already felt this way. So instead of staying home in a dark room, the quarterback joined them on the sidelines. A colossal mistake. Everything was, quote, too bright and, quote, too loud. Sunglasses and earplugs only accomplished so much. Google the longest list of concussion symptoms you can find, and Cobb estimates he was dealing with 80% of them that sunny day. Nauseous, dizzy, his ears were ringing. He toggled in and out of the locker room to collect himself. Quote, my head, Cobb says, was going to explode. This was the first time I thought my brain was swollen. 
This is scary. I'm scared to death about what I'm going through. Skelton started those final three games and the Arizona Cardinals 2011 season mercifully concluded. Cobb doesn't necessarily blame teammates for questioning him this season. On the outside, he appeared fine. Quote, I'm supposed to come in and be the next Kurt Warner, Cobb says. And they're like, is this guy tough? Is he not tough? He didn't play well. Then he played well. Then he got hurt. He's got this concussion. He's talking about having two concussions. They didn't trust me, and I don't blame them. They just didn't know who I was. And they're reeling. They're saying, we suck. We're losing. We're fighting for our jobs. We need you out there. So you're backed into a corner by everybody, and it's nobody's fault. It's just the circumstances of how the NFL was at that point and the recognition of what these players go through when they're dealing with the mental side of things. They were losing their trust in me. The trust in me being the quarterback of the future. And I can't blame them for some of those things. I also couldn't fully communicate what I was going through. Number one, they didn't want to listen. Number two, sometimes as a football player, you've got to just shut up and go for it. I did it one time. I wish I wouldn't have. In all, it took Cobb 10 weeks to recover from this third concussion. At the eight-week mark, in the middle of the night, he sauntered into his bathroom and couldn't stand upright. Cobb stumbled, banged into the walls, decided right then with his wife that he'd quit the sport for good if he suffered one more concussion. When players reconvened in Arizona, Cobb told the organization exactly that. He was treating his brain like a punching bag before even turning 30. His days of hiding anything were over. The Cardinals staged an open competition between Cobb and Skelton in training camp. Skelton won. Skelton suffered an ankle sprain in week one. And Cobb picked up exactly where he left off. Back to that first half in Baltimore. Back to that OT win versus Dallas. He never forgot that winning formula in his head. Be smart with the ball and Cobb could still achieve greatness. Arizona slayed an ascending Seahawks team that win the Super Bowl the next year. Then the defending AFC champions and Tom Brady's New England Patriots. Then Philly. Then Miami. Arizona was 4-0. Yet again, it was all a torturous hallucination. On a game-tying drive against the Buffalo Bills two weeks later, with two minutes to go, Cobb whipped the typically tepid Cards fan base into a frenzy with a dashing 22-yard run. He hurried his offense to the line and on a broken play, turned upfield to salvage what he could before making a wise decision. He immediately collapsed into the fetal position to protect his head. Nonetheless, six foot five, 284-pound defensive end Alex Carrington had time to legally flatten the quarterback. Cobb broke his sternum. His season was over. Two years into that mega contract, Cobb was released by Arizona. The good news? The Bills never forgot Cobb's fight that night. Team President Russ Brandon, along with GM Buddy Nix, head coach Doug Marone, and offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett all met with Cobb in Texas over dinner that 2013 offseason. When they asked about his concussions, the quarterback was honest. He explained how the symptoms became progressively worse. One to two, to three, admitting that a fourth would effectively end his career. Cobb also made it clear that he played a ton of, quote, rough football those six games in 2012 and emerged without any head trauma. 
between the 4-0 start and the Buffalo game, the St. Louis Rams sacked him nine times. His helmet popped off twice. He was okay. Cobb remains confident. Quote, I got my mojo. I got my mojo back, you remember saying. I'm ready to come play ball. The Bills were honest too. They told Cobb their plan was to draft a quarterback high in that 2013 draft and for Cobb to serve as a bridge starter. Cobb signed April 8th, and Knicks drafted Florida State's manual 16th overall on April 25th before abruptly retiring. A shock to everyone. His replacement, Whaley, planned to start Cobb in 2013 and bring Manuel along slowly. On August 3rd, at St. John Fisher College, those plans nearly blew to smithereens. Hustling between drills, Cobb slipped on a slippery rubber mat that was covering concrete. After his knee twisted at an awkward angle, Cobb feared the worst. This is how ACLs tear. He threw his helmet in frustration. He's still sickened by this injury. Quote, I was mad. I was mad at myself. I was just mad. Looking back, Cobb wonders aloud if this was God telling him to stop playing football. The next day, he received a phone call in the dorm. His grandmother died. A brutal loss. They were extremely close. Thankfully, Cobb dodged serious injury. After missing eight days of camp, he was back. He suffered some damage to his kneecap, wore a brace, and practiced with a noticeable limp. All minor details. His spirits were lifted once more. As August dragged on, the Bills made it clear that this was his team. More than revitalizing his own career, Cobb was jacked to win for Hackett. The up-tempo offense and Hackett's infectious exuberance rejuvenated him beyond his wildest imagination. This felt like backyard football, like the run-and-shoot back in college. Buffalo's third exhibition game against Washington would serve as the perfect tune-up. Proof. Nobody was quite sure yet if this fast-paced scheme would translate from the whiteboard to the field. An urgency to ramrod hack his X's and O's to perfection fueled Cobb. This was more than an ordinary preseason game. He knifed an 11-yarder to Robert Woods. He took a naked boot for four yards. Quote, you could feel a momentum behind us of, hey, we're clicking. This may work. Cobb stepped up to the line on third and five from the Redskins 37. Flushed out of the pocket, he saw an opening. He hit the gas. There's nothing nefarious about this eight-yard gain. No chilling collision, no stretcher. But after Cobb innocently falls forward, coast clear, play over, wisely taking cover again, one Redskin cannot stop. It's linebacker Brandon Jenkins a man who would register all of two career tackles in his NFL career. Jenkins glides downfield in pursuit of Cobb and dings him in the head with his knee. 19 seconds of real time is all that passes before the next play. But in those 19 seconds, Cobb first blacks out. On his feet, his body then goes numb. When running back Fred Jackson grabs him, he's still tingling. An official approaches Cobb and he pushes him away mainly because the next play is being relayed by Hackett into his headset. Cobb hustles back to the line of scrimmage and completes a short completion to Woods. One chin strap is still unbuckled. He doesn't bother snapping it back in. The Bills finish this uplifting drive with the C.J. Spiller touchdown run. Cobb returns to the sideline. Time begins to tick. Kevin Cobb turned toward the Redskins fans, 
was greeted with that blur of colors and freaked. He told himself right then he was finished. When those five minutes elapsed and Hackett reappeared for a verdict, no words needed to be said. Cobb finally had a coach who listened, who cared. All he needed to do was shake his head and Hackett went pale. He was crushed. The coordinator took a deep breath and told the other coaches on the headset to buckle up. Everyone's worst fears were here. Off Cobb went to the locker room one final time. The quarterback laid his blue number four jersey on the floor, snapped a photo, and sent it to his wife with the words, we're going home. He knew this was a possibility all along, but that didn't make saying goodbye to football any easier. Football defined him as long as he can remember. Chatting over the phone, Cobb chokes up. Quote, I'm sad right now, thinking about it. Teammates and coaches wouldn't be herding into the locker room for another hour, so Cobb had the room all to himself. To this day, he's grateful that the Bills training staff left him all alone. He needed complete solitude. After his wife responded, Cobb tucked his cell phone away, stared at that jersey, and sobbed. The hardest part? He loved Buffalo. He loved the team. Cobb felt like he was letting everybody down. He was still in his pads. His mind raced. Are you sure this is it? You just told your wife you're going home. Are you sure you don't want to go out on top? No, no, I've been through that resurrection thing in Arizona and got hurt again. I don't need that. I'm past that. I proved myself. I'm fine. A trainer eventually poked his head in to inform Cobb that his teammates were coming. They needed to bring him in a separate room. He was done. He wouldn't need to prepare for an NFL defense ever again. Instead, the symptoms of concussion number four now lurked. Life-threatening symptoms that linger for eight months. Before anything in life could get better, it needed to get worse. Much worse. The crazy thing? Concussions weren't even his worst problem.